You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Isaiah. We've entitled the series, Living in the Shadow of the Great King, and today's message is entitled, The Great Redeemer King. The Great Redeemer King. And in this message today, God is giving us a vision of the great Redeemer King. This, this passage today in Isaiah 11, 1 through 9 is about the great Redeemer King. But to appreciate that, we have to remember what has been happening in Isaiah. One of my favorite series of all times, 24. And whenever you'd watch 24, how would it begin? Previously on 24, boom, and they'd give you a little synopsis. Previously on Isaiah, here's the synopsis. When we last left Isaiah in Isaiah 6, here was the question. How can God fulfill his promise to send a great redeemer king, a Messiah, one to bless the nations through his people, Israel, when Israel has rebelled against God? The answer is that God would come with purifying judgment to separate for himself a remnant, a small group. And the picture that we saw in Isaiah 6 of God's purifying judgment was of a forest of trees representing Israel, and God would come with his purifying judgment and fell chop down all those trees. So all that is left are stumps. And even the stumps are burned over by God's purifying judgment. And the last verse that we read from Isaiah 6 two weeks ago said the following. The holy seed is its stump. Isaiah 6, 13, C. The holy seed is its stump. Today's message is identifying who that holy seed is. He is the great redeemer king. The question is, will God fulfill his promise to bless the nations through Israel? The answer is yes. And he will do it through this great redeemer king, this holy seed. So let's read about him in Isaiah 11, one through nine. But I need to give you one more bit of instruction to teach you how to read the Bible. So if you could, if you could just listen to this for a moment. Isaiah is a prophet. So Isaiah is going to be writing about things that both happened during his time. When was Isaiah written? 740, the 700s B.C., But Isaiah, because he's a prophet, because the Holy Spirit is upon him, is going to be writing about things that happen in the future. And even referencing things that happened in the past. And to understand Isaiah, you kind of have to figure out where he is. Have you ever seen the movie Back to the Future? I got so confused by that movie. Back to the Future 1, right? About 1985. All right, I got it. It's either 1985 
or 1950s. But then back to the future too. Now we're going, you know, to the, you know, 1950s up to the future. You know, he comes back with those crazy glasses, right? Doc Brown comes back. And then forget about number three because you're all the way back in the old west and, and you're watching the movie and you're thinking, which Marty is this? Which Doc Brown is this? And hopefully the Marty from 1985 doesn't meet the Marty from 19 or 2020 who's already got, remember that? I used to be so confused. I have to pause it and say, okay, now where is he? Which Marty is this? You've got to do that with Isaiah. You see, Isaiah is going to be talking in the 700s BC. He's going to be talking about stuff that God will do in 722 BC or 586 BC. And in our text this morning, he's going to give us an eschatological vision. That just means an end time vision of this great redeemer king way down the corridors of history. So so we've got to understand where he is. But the question always remains is this. Will God provide this great redeemer king? Will God provide the seed of the woman. Actually, back to the beginning of time at the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And then to Abraham in like 1400 BC, he said, through you, Abraham, through one of your descendants, Israel, will come the great redeemer king who will bless the nations. And now in 740 BC, We've got this picture of God saying, I'm going to provide that, but first I'm going to bring a purifying judgment, and I'm going to cut down this nation, and it's a bunch of stumps, and and then I'm going to set those stumps on fire. And the question is, can God bring forth from a burned-over stump of a nation the great Redeemer King? We're going to read about that in a moment. But as we do, I just felt like the Lord put this on my heart for you. We can also ask God sometimes, Lord, can you possibly bring forth your promise, the things you speak of in your word, from the burnt over stump of our church, our lives? We're one body. I loved communion this morning. We partook of the body of Christ and drank the blood of Christ represented by those elements. And we're one body and it's very much one body. But at times it can feel, particularly in this world, that God has come with this purifying word. And we kind of feel like stumps, even burned over stumps that are areas in our lives. There's areas in our church where we know we can do better. Even just areas of out and out sin. Maybe it's, it's known, maybe it's hidden. There's just areas where we've just fallen short. There's areas of disappointment. There's areas where others have maybe sinned against us. There's areas of of, of, of it's just we can feel like a burnt over stump. But here's what I want you to remember, church. We're God's burnt over stump. And God is able to bring life from his burnt over stump. That's what this is about. The great Redeemer King. Let's read it. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. <clears throat> you there? Please get there. These are the words of God. Listen to God's word. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. 
And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now in verses 6 to 8, there's going to be these figures of speech. They're a little bit crazy. They're not crazy. They're a little bit unusual. But they're saying something to us about the future. About this great redeemer king restoring something. See if you can catch what is being said here in these figures of speech. Verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. Now right there, what jumps out at you? Typically lions do not lie down with fattened calves. They eat them. And a little child shall lead them. This is is spectacular, church. This is better than any movie, any book. This is amazing. Verse 7. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. What? The nursing child. These little babies we have here. There's a nursing child. I heard one around here somewhere. Yeah. That nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, really the most poisonous snake on earth. You know that one bite from the cobra can kill an elephant. The baby's going to play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den, a poisonous viper. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Is that a vision enough for you? Now I know we got whiplash going back and forth. What's he talking about? His day, this day, next day, 50 years from now. Is it now? Has it already come? Is it still the future? All right, here we go. You ready? Let's find out. Let's find out. The question at hand for all those who read this. Remember, Isaiah writes it, speaks it in around 700s B.C., Israel, the people of God, are going to be reading it all down through the ages. And it's this vision, because they remember chapter 6, verse 13, the stump that's been burned over, there's a holy seed. Here, he's talking about that holy seed sprouting. Verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump. That's the stump from 6.13. So, All through the ages, every Israelite who looks out over the landscape of his nation and sees a stump and a smoldering stump and sees his dream going up in smoke and sees it cut down. For example, in 586 B.C., God will use the Babylonians to come in 586 B.C. and judge Judah 
Jesse. And they will knock down all the walls of Jerusalem. They will destroy the temple. So the last guy leaving with a chain around his neck and around his arms and he's shuffling out of Jerusalem and he's walking to modern day Iraq as an exile. He's reading this. And he's looking at the stump cut down and he's wondering, where is this great redeemer king? Where is this this wonderful restoration of paradise that you're talking about? Fast forward to the Jew living in Israel in 30 AD. Jesus has begun his ministry. Maybe he hasn't heard about Jesus yet, but he's living in Jerusalem and he's sitting at a cafe having his strong coffee in the morning. And he looks up and yes, he sees a restored city and yes, he receives a restored temple. But right about that time, a whole cohort of Romans go marching by, knock over his table and bump his arm and he spills coffee all over himself. And he says, "Where, where is this great redeemer king? We're under the heel of this horribly oppressive pagan nation. That's the question. Where? And so can we ask that same question as we looked at our church and the burned over areas where we lack structures, where we lack grace, we lack power, we lack wisdom to make disciples or reach out to our community. We're aware of the weaknesses. We're aware of apathy and inaction. We're aware of areas where we know we can do better. We may be asking ourselves, God, Where is the life in this burned-over stump, this area that's representing a burned-over stump? And God answers with this truth, that the life comes from him. And he calls us to do this on the screen. Main point, trust the great Redeemer King who exercises his rule to restore his creation. Trust the great redeemer king. Oh, you exile in 586 BC, shuffling off to modern day Iran because the Babylonians have destroyed your city. Trust the great redeemer king. Oh, Jewish man or woman in the first century AD who's looking at the oppression of the Roman guards and wondering where is he? Trust the redeemer king, member of Palm Vista Community Church who will exercise his rule and does exercise his rule to restore his creation. We're part of that creation to fulfill Fulfill his promise. The promise of what? Of a coming redeemer who will bless the nations whom God has called us to preach. Point one, the great redeemer king. In verse one, you see a stump. You've got to think though, just for a moment, back to chapter 10, the very preceding chapter, verse 34. If you have your digital display there, you can look at it. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. That is representative of other stumps, quite possibly the Assyrian Empire, because back then it kind of encompassed a lot of the lands around them, Lebanon, Syria, sort of all that area, who had conquered Israel in 722 B.C., But by this point, remember, back to the future thinking, all right? We're kind of a little bit in the future here. But by the time that this is being written about, God has judged the very nation that God used to purifyingly judge his nation, and he's cut them down like stumps. But that stump in 1034 is very different from the stump in 11.1. In 11.1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So you have these two stumps, both of them cut down by the hand of God. Israel, 11.1, that 
was cut down by the Assyrians whom God used to purifyingly judge them. The Assyrians whom God used to cut down Israel is also a stump. Here's the big difference. No life will come from the stump of the Assyrian nation. They're done. Life will come from the stump of Israel because it's God's stump. That's the hope. From your life, where you maybe have experienced God's purifying hand, and you know you deserve it. You know you've done some stuff that needs to be dealt with. And you're looking at your life and you're thinking it's but a stump. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's this church. Maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's, it's an area of, of prevailing sin in your life. And you're looking at that stump. And you're thinking, can life ever come from that stump? The answer is, if you are Christ, and we are, we are Christ together. We took the body and the blood of Christ together today. We're, we're God's stump, and he brings life. And the life that he brings here in this text is the shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his, Jesse's roots, shall bear fruit. Man, God is amazing. Here's what that means. God... The son, second person of the Trinity, who will come 700 years later, because this was written around 700 BC. He will come as this shoot out of the stump. He will come as this branch out of a family tree, Israel. God, the one who's to come, is the one who's going to sustain the tree that will 700 years later produce him. That's like God saving you and blessing you and giving you the grace to do good works. And then when you do the good works that he enabled you to do, giving you a gift and a blessing for the good works that he enabled you to do. That's called grace. Pure and simple. Praise God. That's why boasting is so odious. So disgusting. Whatever good you can do, God gave it to you. He's so gracious. He sustained the very tree that will produce him in 700 years, though it didn't deserve it because of his love and mercy. He didn't have to. He just did it. It's amazing. The quote on the screen, I think I have it there. I got so excited I forgot to read it to you. Um, This is Motyer. In the same way here, the Messiah is the root cause of his own family tree, pending the day when, within that family, he will shoot forth. Take a picture of that or something. I don't know. That's a great quote. God sends forth the great redeeming, great redeemer king, and it's Jesus. And what characterizes this great redeemer king is the spirit. Remember the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying this is Trinitarian in and of itself, but there's so many aspects of the Trinity here. See verse 2, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The hymn here is that seed that we talked about in 613c. The hymn here is this shoot from the stump of Jesse. It's this branch from the very tree that God sustained so he could be born. He's the second person of the Trinity, and he will have the Spirit upon him. Father, Son, Holy Spirit working together for redemption. I mean, we, we know this is speaking of Jesus. It's clearly pointing to Jesus' baptism. Mark 1.10. 
on the screen. And when he, Jesus, came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. I love the way Mark says that. And the spirit descending on him like a dove. It's like heaven is saying, now's the time. The one who is the root, who has sustained the tree for the day of his birth, he's come and now's the day that the spirit is upon him. This, this history of redemption is crashing down. I think Isaiah saw it. Like he just like was looking at it. You know, like my eyes aren't what they used to be, right? And so you kind of look at, there's something down there. That's what Isaiah's seeing here. That's what happens 700 years later when Jesus is baptized. So what is this spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, and spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord? There's not time to develop those fully. Study them for yourselves. But I believe it's talking about the character of the king. See, See, Jesus, yes, he's fully God. He's fully man. He is the king that all the other kings of Israel, all the other kings after the the line of David tried to be like, but they couldn't be. He's the perfect king. He's the king of kings. So he has wisdom and understanding. He's able to look beyond appearance and look to the heart. You can't pull one over on him. You can't manipulate him. You can't politic him. He also has the spirit of counsel and might. He's able to develop the plan to execute his salvation on earth. And he fully, fully is able and has the power, the might to accomplish it. He has the spirit of, the, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I believe this is talking about the ability to apply truth to everyday life. Wisdom. He is wisdom. We are people of the spirit, church. This promise is fulfilled in Christ. And one of the marks that it's fulfilled in Christ and in us is that we have the spirit. The promise to Abraham included the promise of the spirit. But it could only come when Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that then we could make holy in him and then given the spirit. So as a Christian, the spirit is given to us. It indwells us. We're filled with the spirit. We're baptized by the spirit at our salvation. So we have the spirit. That's really good news. Point two, the great redeemer king's rule. So what does he come to do? He comes to rule. He comes to rule, verses three through five. The great redeemer king rules perfectly, unlike the other failed kings in the line of David. Quickly, look at verse three. What is his rule? Uh, How is it categorized? How is it seen? Well, number one, it says, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. This links up with, he has the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Jesus doesn't judge by what he sees and hears alone. He can distinguish beyond the appearance to the reality. He can see the heart of the matter. He can see inner motivations. Jesus is the great redeemer king, gets to the very core of what's happening, and thus his judgments are right. I think an application is this. We can trust Jesus, our great redeemer king, who sees our heart. And we don't have to play games with him. We can with everyone else, but not with him. We can come to him because we know he knows who we really are. He really knows. But here's what enables us to do that. We come to him because he judged our sin on the cross and he took that sin and bore that wrath and gives us his righteousness so we can be real with him and one another eventually. 
Verse four, the great redeemer king protects the poor and the helpless. You see that there? But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. See, a good king was supposed to protect the weak, the meek. He was supposed to advocate for the poor. But what does a wicked king do? He takes bribes. He politics. He's moved by special interest groups. He's moved by lobbyists. And so instead of protecting the poor and the meek and and the weak, he takes advantage of them. He's an oppressive king. He's a dictator. Too many of us have come from cultures like that, even present day cultures like that. But Jesus is the one who protects the poor and the meek. Now, at this point, I just want to say something. I felt this from the Spirit of the Lord. There are some of you here who have not been cared for in your lives. In a moment of vulnerability, you were abused. In a moment of weakness, you were taken advantage of. There, there, there was no one there to protect you. And I'm so sorry for you. And I want you to know you have a safe place here to be cared for. But here's what I want you to hear. Jesus is that good king who's all powerful. And he will take care of you. He will take care of you. And we should be a community where we can take care of one another in that way. Amen? Amen. 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 And finally... It says here at the second part of verse four, it says, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. So as gentle and as loving and as caring as you just heard me speak for the weak and the poor and the meek and the broken, please hear the roar of the Lord in this one. God is so powerful. This great redeemer king is so powerful that he rules by simply his word. He doesn't need armaments. He doesn't need nuclear weapons. He doesn't need whatever you can think of. His word gets it done. He speaks and it happens. And it's the wicked that need to tremble. When a wicked king rules, it's the the righteous that tremble. When a righteous king rules, it is the wicked that trembles. Praise God for this great redeemer king. Oh, don't we need him today? He's here. At times we can ask, where are you, Lord? He's here And as we look down the quarters of time, there will come a day of ultimate judgment. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And I think that's the application, at least for me. When I see injustice and I want to exercise my anger, my vengeance, I want to say, you know what, Lord, forget about Romans 12. Vengeance is mine, says Alpino. I need to stop. And I need to say, you know what? I may not understand his timing, but this great Redeemer King, will settle all accounts and bring justice. And I trust him. I trust him. I trust him. And verse five, the great redeemer king is righteous and faithful. He is dependable. He has integrity. That's this belt that it speaks of in verse five. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. That's the faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Our great redeemer king will do what is right for the right reasons in the right way without compromise. He will not cut corners. He will not be pragmatic. He will not sacrifice principles to get a job done. The end do not justify the means in his kingdom. The means are 
important and the end is important. And because he can do this by the word of his mouth, he is integrous and he's righteous. Don't we long for that church? Where a king's word is his word? We don't feel like we're getting played or manipulated? Don't we long for real peace with real justice? There can be no real peace without justice. You can't sacrifice justice and cut corners and think you can win peace. You can't can't do it. It doesn't work. It's not a lasting peace. Jesus brings a lasting peace. The great redeemer king exercises his rule to restore his creation. Point three. The great redeemer king's restoration. These are those verses that are so hard to understand, church. And let me just say this to you. That verses 6, 7, and 8 are figurative language. They're figures of speech. They're not to be taken exactly literally. I mean, it may or may not happen. I don't know. But, but all of them speak of one thing. Paradise restored. Listen. When the lamb welcomes the wolf into his house, when the leopard lies down with the goat and the lion lies down with the fattened calf and they hang out together without the lion eating him, when enemies are restored, paradise is restored. Paradise lost is now restored. This is what the great redeemer king comes to do, to reverse the curse, a new heavens, a new earth. Before the fall, there weren't poisonous snakes. Before the fall, well, another example is what they eat. Look at the the, the verse, I believe is verse 6 or 7. The cow and bear graze together while their young play, and the lion and ox eat straw. Lions don't eat straw. They don't have salads. But if you look at Genesis 1, 29 and 30, you know what you'll read? That before the fall... It says that all the animals ate of the, the leaves. Go read it. Is it literal? I don't know. I mean, does everybody become a vegetarian? I don't know. I am not advocating you go on a vegan diet. I'm really not, okay? That's just going too far. That's, what it's saying here is that paradise is restored. And I love this. Look at 6B. A child leads these animals. You see that in 6B? And a child shall lead them, and a little child shall lead them. Don't you see? That's, that's the creation mandate. In Genesis 1.28, he says, you man, woman, have, other, have babies who are image bearers of God. Fill the earth with the image of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, the knowledge of God. Go, go fill the earth and take dominion over the earth. That doesn't mean abuse it. It means to lead it. The, the, the great redeemer king is going to bring about this paradise resort so even a little child can lead lions around. I won't be afraid of dogs anymore. <laughs> dogs won't bite anymore. <clears throat> if you're a guest, I am a little afraid of dogs. Except for Riley. Verse 9 summarizes it. Look, look, by the way, this vision is our vision, church. 
This vision gives us hope, church. This vision enables me to trust God when I see unspeakable suffering and unspeakable wickedness. As a pastor, when I hear the the confessions of people and what's been done to them and what they've done, when I look on the TV, when I hear about unspeakable crimes, and I think, how long, oh God, when, oh God, I look at this vision and I trust the great Redeemer King, just as the great Redeemer King was calling Israel in 700 BCs to trust him to protect them from the Assyrians and the Babylonians and not to make alliances with those wicked nations and bow down to their gods and think they would save them. Your money won't save you. Your military might won't save you. Your personality won't save you. Your beautiful good looks won't save you. You cannot manipulate, charm your way into anything. God will save you because he's good and he's kind and he's merciful. Verse nine is, is the summary. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is speaking of peace, a lasting peace. They shall not hurt or destroy. It's speaking of holiness in all my holy mountain. The earth, the new heavens and the new earth will now become the holy mountain of the Lord. The entire place. And the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The waters covering the sea is just, it's just a figure of speech to say that it's full. Listen, water covering the sea means that every cubic inch is covered by water. Water covers the sea totally, fully. And so God's presence, the knowledge of God, the intimacy with God is everywhere, fully present in all his power and purity. And we experience it fully. This personal, intimate fellowship with God. Oh, if you're here this morning and God feels a little distant to you, I just want to encourage you that this great Redeemer King died on the cross for you, Christian, that you would experience his relationship fully with an intimacy and a joy that you've never experienced before and you will for all eternity. And if right now you're lacking it, he's here to minister to you. I mentioned this earlier. If you are one who has experienced hurt and destruction, the great Redeemer King, Jesus, who was beaten, hung naked on a cross, knows your shame. One of the things that abuse does is it brings great shame on people. It makes them think it's their fault. Jesus makes you whole. There will be a day when you experience a peace that never passes forever. The torment in your head will be gone. And Jesus, who suffered for you and was wounded for you, communicates that to you this morning, I pray. Because, listen, when we see that, when we understand that, then we are moved to trust God. That's what we're all called to do to trust the great Redeemer King who rules and exercises that rule to restore his creation. Now, just right now, I'd like us to bow our heads and quietly pray. This is a, an important moment, and if the worship team would quietly just make their way up front. I'd like us to end <clears throat> by singing two songs. Um. I want to sing now why this fear, but then I also want to end with so I will trust. But 
if, if you are here this morning and you have experienced this hurt and destruction, it may be the hurt of sin against you or it may be the hurt of your sin against someone else. It may be the hurt of, of just the fallenness of this world. It may be the destruction of a hope and a dream, a relationship. But, but specifically, if, if you have experienced the shame and the hurt and the destruction that sin can visit, we just want to be here to pray for you. Or you might want to turn to someone and say, can you pray for me as we're singing And I sense that particularly as we sing, now why this fear? The picture I had when we were singing that song is of someone who has either done something that's not really good, maybe unspeakable, or had something unspeakable done to them. And they see the family of God gathering. I saw that in communion where the family of God was gathered. And and, and they say, I can't come there because if I step up there, because of maybe your abuse, you're used to somebody raising their hand and hitting you and and saying, get out of here. And you've got that locked in your head. That's not the way God is. That's not the way Christ is. He is gentle and meek and mild. He's all powerful, but he's, he's meek and mild. He cares for the meek. He cares for the poor. But you think he is. The enemy has lied to you. And I just, I just see the Lord wants to turn that raised hand that's going to hit you into arms that embrace you. And church, he uses us to do that. That's what it means when it says, I want to use my people to bless the nations. That's the gospel that we're not only to preach, but we're to live, we're to embody. So if you need that, we're, we're, Corey and I will be here. And again, I just invite you know, the Gabilans, um, the Abegs, uh, the Gonzaleses, Beecham's, and the Olsons. You know, if you see someone needing prayer, guys, please. Or just seek them out. The Lord may put people in your heart. Or just, just, God put somebody on your heart. Go find them and pray for them. Um, Okay, so let me, let me pray. Lord, I, I pray that we would have a vision of you, great Redeemer King. We, we, need, we need a king. We're totally weak. We're totally unable. We're, we're totally messed up. We look at areas of our life that are smoldering stumps, whether it's our marriages, whether it's our parenting, whether it's our businesses, whether it's our vocation, whether it's our health, whether it's whatever. We think, can life ever come out of that? Lord, I pray that you would, you would speak into the hearts of all of us that you're my stump. <laughs> uh, you're, you're mine and, and there's life there and I will restore. Yes, I rule. Yes, I bring righteousness. Yes, I am holy, but I'm also kind and merciful and, and holiness and justice and mercy kiss at the cross so that justice is vindicated. Someone paid the price. It was you, Jesus, so that mercy could be given to those who don't deserve it. That's us. Lord, for the hurting this morning, for the shamed, for the broken, oh, let it, show us how we can wrap your arms. We are your arms. We're the body of Christ around them. And they would feel and sense your comfort. Lord, for those that feel so estranged from you, Lord, draw them. I pray in Jesus' name. So let's quietly stand. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings.